Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Dish was made on the 1st of August 2016. To hear more episodes, visit deliciousmagazine.co.uk forward slash dish. Hello and welcome to the August episode of Dish, the podcast from the team here at Delicious Magazine. Here's what you've got to look forward to in this episode. You have to carve a 4D sculpture of Mary Berry naked riding an elephant out of a Genoese sponge. As the nation gears up for Bake Off, we speak to two former winners about what they'd like to see happen in the tent this month. Every day there is some small failure, whether it's a customer complaint, whatever it may be. Failure is a daily occurrence. Hugh Thompson goes to Borough Market to find out the secrets of a successful food startup. I found it quite hard to go through the recipes. You know, her recipes meant so much to me. And we meet the author of a new charity cookbook containing her late mother's recipes. Plus, we hear all about this one's issue with editor Karen Barnes. It's all coming up on Dish. Now, the national treasure that is Great British Bake Off returns to our screens this month. So to get hyped, I met two former winners, Ed Kimber and John Waite. Here's what they had to say. So I'm here with John and Ed, and we have not a crystal ball, but a glass of water. And we're going to try and gaze into this and think about what Bake Off 2016 is going to contain. John, I'm going to put you on the spot. What are you looking for in Bake Off 2016? Well, based on current political climates, I think austerity cuts. Uh, Mary Berry will not be wearing bomber jackets this year because they can't afford them. And um, there'll be two contestants. (laughs) Interesting, Ed. No bunting. Can't have any bunting. Just butter. No margarine this year. No, no margarine because we can't afford butter anymore. And it all has to be boring, boring, boring. Well, that's just interesting because do you think that they're going to sort of dial down the uh, European bakes? Obviously, a lot of the technicals are very complex pieces of French patisserie and we have the more obscure things. Do you think they're going to try and dial that down and tap into this Brexit mood? Well, sadly, it's already been filmed, so probably not. But I actually think if they had planned it, if they knew what they were doing, I think they'd do the opposite. Dial it up. Right. Because, you know, baking is such an international thing, and the show celebrates that with the contestants, with the recipes, and I don't think that will change. John, is there anything else left to bake? We've had how many series now? Ten? Seven? Seven series. We've had seven series. We must have run out of cakes, surely. Well, I think we're getting there, but there are so many things that we haven't explored in Bake Off. And I mean, they brought in the, be careful when I say this, but the Schick Torta. I, I, for one, have never heard of one of those. And I'm, you know, I'm a qualified pastry chef, so I'd never heard of one of those. But there was that one where they had to grill it. Oh, about 15 fun. times yeah it was just what I mean it was a bit of a faff but no I think they will keep finding obscure things or they'll just make things more difficult like 
you know, you have to carve a 4D sculpture of Mary Berry naked riding an elephant out of a Genoese sponge. That's what they do, isn't it? They sort of have to make things more difficult. I'm looking forward to that one. (laughs) Do you think it's the technicals and the structure of the show, do you think it's changed since your day? I think John said something interesting in that it has become slightly more maybe outlandish in that the show, because it is a progression and every year it changes, you have to think of things to, you know, top itself. So that's why you see people, instead of just making a cake, there's an extra hour in the challenge where you have to decorate it insanely. And I think (laughs) looking back to what we made on my series... We, we made cake. Yeah. Uh, just cake. Well, I remember doing an interview with you a couple of years ago, and you were talking about watching the Or series and how slow it all seemed. I'm not sure I used the word slow, Andrew. <laughs> Still very thrilling and interesting. But it, it had a much more kind of... Like, when people say the show is twee, you watch series one, and it was way more kind of that simple, simple, very very kind of old school uh, fate kind of feeling. Yeah. Whereas now, obviously, all of those shows, MasterChef, any cooking show, any reality show, they have to amp up the drama. Yeah. And in Bake Off, they do that by increasing the decorating and all the stuff that I'm not very good at. So I'm really glad I did series one. <laughs> that, that, was, that was back in the day when Mary Berry didn't have fake eyelashes or backcombed hair, isn't it? So you can tell the um, sort of, you can tell how, how, how the progression of the show based on Mary Berry's hair. It's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. I think we're going to need an extra tent for her hair this year. It's got harder and harder and harder with more product. Oh, you've been a bit bitchy, boys, oh, no, about old mess bears. Yeah. What's what's yeah. what's all no, this? No, of course not. Never. <laughs> we'll be we'll be in India because because it's family. I think all's fair in love and war. John, would you enter now? Um, or do you think it's a different game? It's a different game. I think I'd give it a shot, but I, I don't know. I'd I'd want to because, like with Nadia last year, she made the marshmallow fondant and stuff like that, and I just that's a different thing that to what I believe in in food. I think it has gotten much more difficult. Uh, process and uh, I don't know I don't think I would I think it's also interesting because it's always no matter what the cakes are it's always about the contestants and the personalities they got I thought last year was a pretty good year actually I thought it had a good broad church of different people and abilities and ages and all this sort of stuff and it was it was interesting show to watch so is it is it about the bakes or is it about the people Ed it's still definitely about the baking I think for me one of the issues I never wanted to see in Bake Off was what every other reality TV show goes through, where it isn't about the thing, it's about the person. Most reality shows are about laughing at a person rather than, you yes. know, celebrating a talent. And I yeah. think Bake Off always has that, and it hasn't lost it. But I completely agree with John in that the thing I love about baking is the food mm. and the taste of it. And I think because of the nature of the show and how long it's been on now, that is still there, but it has become a big issue about let's decorate it as much as we can. And that's not really what I do, so... Mm. Um, but for me, it's still about the baking. But I do see people asking to see more baking. But you know, it's interesting as well. They tried spin-off shows. I mean, Junior Bake Off a couple of years ago, which my daughter loves. They've had the one with Tom Carriage. They've had Extra Slice. Do you see all of these elements coming together again this year, John? I think so. I think that's the nature of any TV show. The more popular it gets, the more the company extrapolates on the original idea and makes more from it. I think people have a profound interest in that though I think people still like the extra slice and they like creme de la creme because it has that backbone of bake-off it has that uh, familiar feeling the DNA exactly and I think people enjoy that and equally so even though creme is a higher competition in the sense that it's professionals they still had that element of 
sort of stoicism in there and sort of calm, let's carry on. It wasn't about failures, it was about triumphs. And I think that's what that's what people like about the show. It isn't exploitative. It isn't about the contestants, as Ed said. Mm. It's about the competition for what it's worth and the products that they create. So if I could ask you both to pick your favourite moment from all the series, not including the your, a moment involving yourself. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll bend the rules on this one. Your favourite moment from the entire Bake Off canon, what would it be, Ed? I, th- I think sometimes it's the speech at the end of when someone wins. Nice. Um, because it's it's normally quite emotional and... I mean, I remember mine, and um, and then I remember Nadia's, and to me they felt similar because there was a huge amount of emotion about why it meant something to them and how it was very personal. And I don't know, it it kind of shows you what Bake Off is, really. It's about celebrating a skill, and it has become how that can change your life. And I think to see someone kind of realise that is a really nice moment. But for me personally it is because it makes me remember... Mine, I know that's selfish, but... <laughs> John? Well, that's a very soppy answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> But no, no, that's why I love you. Um, I think my favourite memory is just hearing Cat Dresser say, I'm not serving Mary Berry green carpet. <laughs> I mean, that, was, that, that sums up Bake Off for me, you know? I'm not serving Mary Berry green carpet. Thank you, boys. Thank you. Thank you. And keep your eye on the TV pages to find out exactly when the first episode of Bake Off kicks off. Now, did you know that London's Borough Market is but a scone's throw, see what I did there, uh, from Delicious HQ, we're literally across the street. Anyway, we sent Hugh Thompson to one of their recent talks. Here's his report. I'm at Borough Market, London's capital of food and home to a series of talks on food issues. Tonight's talk was about how to start a food business or social enterprise. So I caught up with Jordan Frieda of Trullo Restaurant, Claire Tack from the Violet Bakery, Bonnie Chung, who started Miso Tasty, and Jenny Costa from Ruby's from the Rubble to see how they did it. Jordan Frieda, you started Trullo in Islington. What made you choose that as your location? Well, we'd gone through a process for three years where we'd bid on some quite exciting high-profile sites. And because we were young and because we were passionate, we got quite far down the line. In the end, we never got the site. And by the time we got to St. Paul's Road, which was a bit off-patch, we were competing against less polished restaurateurs. And we'd had a lot of experience pitching by that point. What piece of advice would you give yourself now that you know, after all your experience and years of wisdom? I think, really, I spent too much time being worried about the business failing really feeling that that would mean something about me that it would be this sort of apocalypse the reality of running a business i know now is that you know every day there is some small failure whether it's a customer complaint or something you plan for really really hard not working out or whatever it may be failure is a daily occurrence and it is not something to be afraid of it is a part of the the creative process and it's something to embrace i I suppose so yeah just chill out a little bit and you know enjoy it what's the excitement of running a restaurant for you to give someone that cold glass of wine you know after a hard sort of day at the office or a plate of food that makes people kind of meet each other's eyes and to give that to someone is just it's so gratifying i could never do anything else clip tack You've built up a successful business, the Violet Bakery. Uh, you started out from a market stall in Hackney. How did you work out the ethos of your business and uh, what particular cakes to sell? So when I started, I'd come from a restaurant kitchen and I very much wanted to do sort of beautiful, um, 
more sort of you know restaurant like baking. I was doing some some sort of things that were maybe a bit more sophisticated, and I found from my customers that they really wanted those familiar flavors from their childhood, um, things that grandma had made, and um, and so they kept asking me for banana bread and carrot cake and these things that I had thought weren't really um, you know kind of fit for my bakery. But then I, I really had to listen to that, and so I developed recipes for those items that I felt could fit in with what we were doing. And yes, and then I sort of realized that the ethos of my business was really that thing of like a kind of a better version of that sort of home baking. Bonnie Chung, um, the founder of Miso Tasty, what caused you to choose Miso, a product you had to source from the other side of the world? Well, the most important thing about my product is that it has to be authentically made. So wherever it is traditionally made was where we had to go. But really, we were driven by making the best product we could. And where the expertise lay was in Japan. So we didn't really have a choice. <laughs> we didn't really have a choice because we were, um, our number one principle was creating the best product we could. And with that, we needed the experts to work with. And after your years of experience now, what would you like to tell yourself if you were just starting out on business? I wouldn't change a thing. I would always, I would always have started Miso Tasty in the way that I did, I think. But I wish someone had given me a heads up of how much sacrifice actually running your own business is. I thought it was going to be all creative and it was all going to be me in the kitchen developing recipes. And actually that's such a small part of what um, uh, running a successful food business entails. So I would have liked to have um, been given some heads up that it was going to be this intense, but also uh, incredibly rewarding. Jenny Costa, um, you've been making chutneys and pickles from waste food. What was the most important thing you wish you knew when you started? What I wish I knew when I started was probably a realisation of how competitive the food industry is and um, I was very naive when I started of just thinking if I make the best tasting product and something that I love then of course everyone else is going to want it. Sometimes the more naive you are um, the better it is sometimes because you take those risks and you just go for it and, and you try things new that, that other people would shy away from. Did you have a sort of eureka moment when you suddenly thought, this is what I want to do? With rubies in the rubble, I was working in an industry in finance that I wasn't passionate about. I then started reading about food waste and um, I couldn't believe the scale of it and and just seeing it on paper and and seeing how much we were discarding unnecessarily and, and the impact of that financially and environmentally. But it wasn't until I got on my bicycle and went down to a fruit and veg market and seeing it with my own eyes of pallets of Monge 2 coming from, from Kenya or tomatoes coming from Holland and what seemed, I couldn't see anything wrong with them, but being a perishable good if they were unsold, I mean, I almost couldn't not act. It was, it was something I became so passionate about and I knew I wanted to have a product that both created a solution to that but also raised awareness around it. How do you manage what sounds like an unpredictable supply? How do you know what's going to be on that day, what's been wasted, what's ready? How does that work? I used to panic that that would be a problem. Sadly, we are, we're still so small compared to the size of the problem. For example, one of our tomato farmers throws away between 15 tonnes to 30 tonnes every week. And so we're, I don't think the UK even eats that amount of tomato chutney so we've got quite a, 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 um, a long way to go and there are more talks happening throughout the year at borough market check out their website for details mm-hmm. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, a new cookbook came out last month that has a rather interesting tale attached. I won't say too much about it. I'll let the, well, one of the authors explain. So Danny, why don't you tell us the history of how the book came to be? My mum was a qualified chef and we always joked about making a cookbook but we never actually did it. And my mum passed away. She passed away two and a half years ago now. And I went home to go get my clothes for the funeral. I thought I must just check my house. So I ran up the stairs, got my clothes and I came back down and the it looked in the lounge, no problem. And then at the kitchen, no problem. And I went into my dining room and on my dining room table were all her handwritten and my great grandmother's grandmother's recipes were sitting on the table. And to this day, I have absolutely no idea how they got there. So you don't know who put them there, where they came from? No idea. No. Your, your mother never mentioned them? No. <laughs> no. I mean, I'd seen them before, okay. but I, I didn't. I mean, they were never all together in one place. Uh. And no one, I promise you, I asked everyone, no one has any idea. And I knew I had to do something with it. So it must have been quite an exercise to kind of go through this huge archive and distill it down and update all the recipes as well, I imagine, and, and to get it into this book. What were your particular favourites? Um, do you know something? I thought I found it quite hard to go through the recipes because it was so emotional. Because um, obviously I was grieving, and um, you know her recipes meant so much to me. You know memories and and as a child, part of my childhood. Um, and I always used to cook with her. So, but at the same time, it was so cathartic. It was so special, and I felt like she was with me every step of the way. But the book's not just about recipes; it's about story. My family are from South Africa originally, and um, my dad got a scholarship at the end of her, their degree to come to London to work at the Savoy Hotel. So that's why they landed up in London, and my mom worked for Prue Leith at Leith Cooking School. Excellent. Now, can you explain the ribbon bookmark? So the book's actually for charity. Every single penny of the book goes to the Derma Trust, which is a charity that goes to research in skin diseases, and my mum suffered from skin diseases. One of the things, obviously, when you're making a cookbook, it's very expensive, and so obviously to cut down on the cost was to get rid of the ribbon. My mum used to sew and do lots of stuff with her hands and very creative. So one of the main things I was very adamant about was to have a ribbon, but when they said it's too expensive, I thought, I can't, I can't justify it. 
anyway, I, she had collected ribbons my entire life, and she had a massive st- like room filled with them. And someone said to me, "Why don't you cut those up?" So in every book is a piece of her ribbon, and hopefully that will just—it's like a momentum. Wow! And so each piece is different, and yeah. it, everyone's going to get a different different piece. Yeah, exactly. Let's pick a recipe. Let's pick a recipe and and, and talk talk me through it. What's what's your a, on a warm summer's day like today, what, what should we go for? Oh, my goodness. The salads. I love the salads. Okay. Uh, oh, let's go one? for this. Yes. yes. Okay, so the cabbage salad. Actually, interesting. So I am not a qualified chef, but right. I know how to cook. Okay. Because I've learned from my mum and my dad as well. Mm. And um, I had to um, use a chef to be able to make sure the recipes actually work. And funny enough, Prue said to me when I spoke to her about it, she said to me, one of the biggest problems with recipe books is that there are... Um, there's always a, a ingredient that's missing in the actual blurb of the recipe. So I worked with the most wonderful chef called Charlie Clapp. I had to give them to her independently so she could see if they worked, you right. know, without me talking to her through them. And she argued with me about the noodles that go in this. She was like, it's not possible that you can use instant noodles for this. It's disgusting. I said, please trust me, please. Okay. Um, and she said, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's 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 instant noodles, sesame seeds, sunflower, and cabbage. So it's a kind of I don't know, it's sort of Asian style yeah, slaw style thing. A little bit, but when you put the dressing on, it's, yeah. it changes it. Right, mm, and it all gets soaked up. You've got here safari brown vinegar. Tell us about that. So I wanted to make sure I make it as easy as possible. So I've, I've said it's safari vinegar. So I love it. And it's from South Africa. But you can uh, get it online. It's what is it? It's just a brown vinegar, but right, it's, okay. it's the cheapest vinegar you can get. <laughs> and you can substitute it for any dark vinegar, any right. red wine vinegar or brown vinegar. But I suggest the chip shop vinegar. A peek up her skirt. What's this? <laughs> the strangest thing happened. A few strange things have happened along the way of the book. And I really don't know how they even happened but basically my mum used to make as I said before she used to sew things do things to you know um, make sweets and all ribbons and stuff anyway she made these dolls and um, she made them and uh, I she gave me a couple and uh, while I was making the book I had to use an editor so Ginny Johnson who's a wonderful woman she helped me edit the book she edited the book and when I first met her I put a few things together just to show her, to explain like what my mum was about. And um, I took this doll with me. Anyway, as I showed her the doll, I thought, I must just look up her skirt. Because my mum was quite... She was a very funny character. She used to sew knickers on the dolls. <laughs> so I thought, I must just check. I find, wonder what's underneath. And she had written... She had sewn in a note that says, To Danny, you're special. Live, love, laugh. Be strong. And did you get a little laugh when you when you lived at the? Gym? Oh, I loved it. I really did. I loved it because you hadn't looked up before you went into the meeting. No, I nearly passed out. <laughs> <laughs> Would you encourage people to go through their own family archives? You know, I'm sure everyone's grandparents has got one of these sort of old books stuffed full of things. And what, what what was the main thing that you found going through this sort of treasure trove of, of old recipes? amazing the history that you find through these recipes and I think it's so important well I love cooking and I love how the history is coming through these recipes and if you've got them you need to keep them safe and give them to your children brilliant thank you Danny thank you so much and the social kitchen is available in all good bookshops now okay I'm here with Karen Barnes now editor of delicious magazine and we are looking at the August issue what have we got to look forward to in August Karen? 
My favourite feature in this issue is called Seaside Holiday Food Reinvented. Okay. There are particular things that we probably all associate with the Great British Seaside, like the 99, like fudge, like rustling bags of donuts and maybe crab sandwiches, fish and chips, Mm -hmm. all of those things. And we thought it would be good fun to recreate those dishes, maybe inspired by a country from around the world. So we've given each each of them a twist and we're not saying for one moment that these are better than the originals because the originals are classic and wonderful (laughs) these are dishes that um just have a slightly different take on it uh so i think that's probably my favorite feature in the issue largely because it has a sense of nostalgia and also a sense of something new and different Mm, interesting and keeping up the holiday theme we've got another feature here escape to provence tell us about that yes i think i mentioned in a previous podcast that our uh, food editor bex does get some of the greatest gigs she was in venice for the june issue (laughs) and now she's been in the south of france Uh, this time she went to visit uh, the mirabeau vineyard which is a vineyard um, producing some wonderful uh, southern french rosé it's a really wonderful dry pale pink rosé and a few years ago the cronk family who are british went to live in Provence and they have created uh, this wine there and also a wonderful lifestyle abroad and they're wonderful cooks so we asked them to create and share some of their recipes with us and we've created a wonderful Provencal menu that's also very much rooted in home which somehow feels very appropriate for these times. Well, yes, you know, we wonder whether Brexit will lead to the end of this sort of thing, and it's up in the up in the air. The other feature that we've got, of course, we featured in the June podcast as well when we were meeting EU chefs and talking about the EUF. This was obviously before the vote. Uh, you've now got the feature in your hand and the menus. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, we asked the chefs to come together and uh, create a wonderful um, sharing feast, I guess you would call it. Yeah. They're wonderful things such as uh, grilled halloumi with avocado and a black olive tapas. Spicy aubergine polpetti, which is a Francesco Mazze dish, and they're just little nuggets of um, fried aubergines that you you dip in a sauce. But reading the um, features for this issue has a certain poignancy to it, I have to say, because it has made me realise how wonderfully multicultural our country is in terms of its food, in terms of the chefs that we work with, in terms of the London food scene, which used to be the laughing stock of the world, but now is the centre of world food. And ingredients as well. And ingredients. We have such richness here and uh, it just seems poignant because every feature I look at for this issue uh, is a celebration of our multiculturalism and I'm just slightly worried about what the future holds. And if you want to hear uh, my interview with these chefs, that's in the June podcast. That's available on deliciousmagazine.co.uk forward slash dish and iTunes and you can hear their thoughts on the London food scene and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Excellent. Well, it looks like a cracking issue, all summery and holiday and escapey. Let's let's hope it is, Karen, eh? Yes, it's a good one. (laughs) Thank you. See you next time. And that brings us to the end of the August issue of dish i hope you've enjoyed it remember our phone line if you want to get in touch and leave a short message we'll play on the show our phone line is 0203 868 1919 you can leave us a short message and we'll play it on the show and listen out for a new voice on the show next 
month. All will be revealed. Until then, remember, do check us out on iTunes and leave a review if you enjoyed the show. And if you want to get in touch with anything else, it's readers at deliciousmagazine.co.uk. That's it, folks. Cheerio. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 